Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 86. Today I'll be talking about the case of Jolene Cummings, a Florida hairstylist. My sources for today's episode are Snapped, Season 31, Episode 11, People.com, NewsForJax.com, and Jacksonville.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. When a devoted mother disappears, loved ones fear the worst. No matter where Jolene was at, she would always answer for the phone. I just felt like something bad had happened and that she wouldn't be back. A woman with a history of choosing the wrong man. She didn't always pick the best guys. I don't know why. She could always do so much better. I got text messages from other people saying he's bad news. Crosses a stranger with a secret past. Jolene Jensen was born on May 13, 1984. She was very close to her family, and it was just Jolene, her mom, and her stepdad. Jolene had a large circle of friends, and people seemed to be drawn to her. After high school, Jolene attended cosmetology school. She wanted to own a salon in her hometown, but she did move away to attend school, and after a failed relationship, she moved back. Jolene didn't always pick the best men to be with, but she did have three kids, and she loved them. She worked at Tangled Hair Salon in Fernandana Beach. It was a very family-friendly salon and everyone got along. Jolene used social media to build a clientele list and her coworkers recalled that she barely went a day without having a client. Jolene met Jason Cummings and eventually they got married after they had their first son in 2013 and they had their second son in 2015. Jolene had a daughter from another relationship Jolene loved her kids, but the marriage wasn't good, and they separated in 2017. The kids lived with Jolene, but they would visit their dad, and that's exactly where they were when Jolene went missing. On May 14, 2018, a woman named Ann Johnson called the police to report her daughter Jolene missing. Ann said the last time anyone had heard from her was May 12th. Ann said Jolene hadn't shown up to pick up her sons from their father's house on May 13th, which was also Jolene's birthday and Mother's Day. Jolene's family and co-workers were panicking because it wasn't like Jolene to just not show up for her kids or to work. The police reached out to Jason, and they learned that their final custody for their kids hadn't been determined yet, but Jason agreed to meet with the police for an interview. The police were also able to find out that Jolene had last been seen at her work, Tangles, on May 12th. The owner gave the police a list of people who had been at work that day. On May 12th, it had been Jolene, a woman that had been there about 10 years, and a new coworker named Jennifer Siebert that were working. The owner said Jennifer and Jolene had closed the salon around 5 p.m. The police attempted to ping Jolene's cell phone, but it was either dead or turned off. Jolene's bank records and social media hadn't been touched since May 12th either. Jolene's description and her car description were released to the news, and the police attempted to reach out to Jennifer. Jennifer told the police that she couldn't be involved in a police investigation. She claimed that her ex-boyfriend was a computer expert and could track her if her name was listed. Jennifer claimed that she was not close to Jolene and that everything seemed fine at work. The police looked into Jolene's history. On May 9th, there had been a domestic situation. Her boyfriend, Jason G., had asked to spend the night, but Jolene said no. Jason G. then became upset. The police and Jolene's stepdad went to her house to perform a welfare check on May 14th. The house was in disarray, and there were cabinets that were loose. The police police reached out to another officer who claimed that it was just typical for that house. And on May 15th, it had been three days since Jolene was last seen. 
So the police questioned Jason, who is Jolene's ex-husband, on May 15th, but the police were also looking into Jason G, who is Jolene's current boyfriend. So Jason was interviewed by the police. He admitted that he and Jolene fought, but there was never any violence. So again, this is Jason, Jolene's ex-husband, right now. Jason told the police that he had been with friends all weekend, and the police asked Jason if they could download the contents of his phone. There was nothing found, and he also gave a written consent to search his car. A crime scene unit searched it, but nothing was found either. Jason did tell the police that he wanted to know more about Jolene's boyfriend, Jason G. Please, I've been so far from Can you please tell me about this guy? She has a guy she's been seeing, and we're looking into that. I'm trying to locate him for an interview. I've got a text message from other people saying bad news. Jason was released from the station, and the police were now moving on to Jolene's current boyfriend, Jason G. It was documented that he had been the one to damage the cabinets in Jolene's house. The police went to Jason G's house, but he was never there. The police tried to call him, but he'd hang up. An active warrant was out for violation of probation. He was eventually found at a relative's house in another port of Florida. He was hiding under some boxes in a bedroom when the police arrived. He was arrested for the outstanding warrant and was interviewed at the police station. You pronounce your last name G or B? You hear calling up on a probation violation, okay? You are in custody. You're not free to be. Um, I want to talk to you about something else. Have you heard that Jolene was missing? Can we go just kind of back to the beginning? How you guys got together? Where you met? A little over a year ago, she had a little bit of a leg together. Oh, it was a party. And I mean, it was got together. It was clear. Jason G. was asked about his whereabouts on May 12th, and he said he was at his cousin's house. The police asked Jason G. if they could see his text messages. Jason said he didn't have a phone, and he said it was either at his aunt or cousin's house, and that he took the battery out. After questioning Jason G., they seemed to believe that he was genuinely concerned that she was missing. The police went back to Tangles, and both Jasons had officially been cleared. The police went into the salon, and Jennifer was there while the police were talking to the owner. Jennifer had been the last one to see Jolene on May 12th. The owner told Jennifer to speak to the police, but she refused. She quit that day and told the owner to mail her check and said she couldn't be involved. After Jolene's car description was put out, the police received a tip. A man said he thought he saw the car in the Home Depot parking lot. The salon and Home Depot were on the same road just a few miles away, and it was determined to be Jolene's car. There was no evidence found in the car, but the police did check for surveillance footage. In the early morning hours of May 13th, the car was seen around 1.17 a.m. It was seen driving into the Home Depot parking lot, and a minute later, someone can be seen leaving the area. The police were able to follow the figure into a nearby gas station, and it was a female wearing all black entering the store. It was Jennifer Siebert. On Wednesday, May 16th, the police returned back to Tangles. The salon had been closed since Jolene's disappearance, so the crime scene unit was able to test the salon with luminol, and the luminol reacted and there was blood, found blood evidence. It was clear that something horrible had happened inside. The police needed to find Jennifer, and samples of the blood was sent in for DNA testing. A bolo, or be on the lookout, was put out for Jennifer's car and her phone records. 
Her phone put her in St. John's County, and she had given a false address to the salon. The police were informed that she was a transient and lived out of her car. The police tracked her car down at a rest area between two semis. Several other detectives responded to the area, and when the police approached the car, there was someone sleeping in the car. The person was given verbal commands to exit. It was Jennifer, and she had a nasty cut on her face. She claimed she had been riding a bike and hit a tree. The police asked Jennifer if she had ever been in Jolene's car, but she said no. The police told her that they didn't believe her, and she said she probably needed an attorney. Jennifer was arrested and was transported to the St. John County Jail. She was originally charged with grand theft. The police canvassed the area around the salon for more surveillance footage. There was a camera in the alley behind the salon near the dumpsters. In the footage, Jennifer can be seen exiting the salon with large garbage bags. A truck can be seen emptying the dumpster on May 14th, just hours after Jolene was reported missing. The police reached out to the garbage company, and they gave the police the area where the garbage was dumped. A search warrant was obtained for Jennifer's car. There was a bag with combs and scissors inside, and on the scissors there was a dark-colored substance. It came back as positive for Jolene's blood. The police also found a record of purchases made by Jennifer at Walmart on, at 9 p.m. on May 12th. When Jennifer was at Walmart, she bought ammonia, garbage bags, gloves, and a carving knife. After Jennifer had bought the items from Walmart, she returned to the salon, and she continued her trips to the dumpster behind the salon. Jolene's blood also came back as being on the walls inside the salon. The police searched the landfill where Jolene's body was believed to have been, but nothing was found. The police interviewed the staff from the salon about Jolene and Jennifer's relationship, and it seemed like they got along, but eventually tensions started to rise. Eventually, it seemed like Jennifer was jealous that Jolene had a lot of clients, and Jolene also told her other co-workers that something seemed off with Jennifer. Anne Morgan, a co-worker, said that Jolene and Jennifer had argued the day before Jolene disappeared. Jolene, say, go away. I don't want to talk to you. You fake. You crazy. You fake. Say, Miss Anne, something about Jennifer that I cannot put my hand on it. She's not right. Apparently, Jolene had confronted Jennifer and told her she'd get to the bottom of discovering who Jennifer really was. On May 18th, Jennifer was interviewed, and she dropped a bombshell. We won't talk to you for a few minutes. As I'll tell you, when you want to run my fingerprints through, they come up as Kimberly Lee Kessler. Um, I was born in May of 1968, May 9th. Jennifer Siebert was actually Kimberly Kessler, and she said she grew up in Butler, Pennsylvania. Kimberly claimed that after the relationship ended, she went on the run and changed her name. But when the conversation turned to Jolene, Kimberly shut it down. She thought you were fake. She thought you were phony. She was going to look you up. I don't remember any of that. The police couldn't find any proof that the FBI was looking into her as Kimberly suggested. But the police did search Jennifer Siebert with the same date of birth. And they discovered Jennifer Siebert was actually a young girl that died at age 13 from a car accident in Germany. And she was buried in Butler, Pennsylvania. The real Jennifer's dad was contacted by the police, and he was surprised and didn't know how his daughter's information had been obtained. Kimberly was reported missing by her mom in 2004 when she was just 36. An FBI agent was sent to the home of Kimberly's mom, and a DNA swab confirmed that it was her daughter. The police reached out to people who might have known Kimberly. Ever, and 
Kimberly was violent and jealous, and she had about 17 different aliases and had different driver's license from different states. Kimberly's phone was searched, and on her phone, she had searched things like co-worker guilty of murder, no body, no crime, and she made hundreds of searches for information about Jolene. On September 7, 2018, Kimberly was indicted on the charge of first-degree murder. Kimberly spit and was nasty to the deputies in jail, and a mental evaluation was conducted to see if she was fit to stand trial. She was diagnosed with delusional disorder, and another psychologist evaluated Kimberly to see if she was just acting. They said she fit the criteria for an unspecified disorder, but the judge made the decision that she was okay to stand trial. Her trial began in December 2021, and at trial she showed up and had a gaunt appearance. She went on a hunger strike, and every time she had a hearing, she'd be disruptive and she'd be removed from the court. The prosecution said Kimberly was a troubled woman who lashed out when Jolene threatened to tell her secret. It's believed that they got into an altercation and Kimberly had scissors and was able to overpower Jolene. She then discarded Jolene like trash. On December 9, 2021, Kimberly was convicted of first-degree murder and grand theft auto, and she was sentenced to life without parole. Jolene's body has never been found. Jolene's sons are being raised by their father, and Jolene's daughter is being raised by her mom, Anne. After Kimberly's sentencing, Jolene's mom, Anne, said, quote, We are still waiting for Jolene to walk through that door, but Jolene is never coming home. Not only are we traumatized, but this is a never-ending nightmare, end quote. Kimberly is obviously a very troubled person, but that's not an excuse. Kimberly took a beloved mother-daughter friend away for no reason at all. I hope someday Jolene will be found so that her family can have closure. Kimberly deserves to rot, but I have a feeling she'll do anything she can to keep the attention on herself, even from prison. My book recommendation for this week is How to Destroy Your Husband by Jess Kitching. I gulp as I stare at the stranger before me who is this man I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Cassie Edwards swore she'd never fall in love, but then she met Jamie. He changed everything, and Cassie's never been happier. But with less than one month to go to her wedding, Cassie discovers Jamie is cheating on her with his colleague. Blinded by rage, Cassie makes it her mission to seek revenge on the pair. When Cassie looks deeper into her fiancé's life, she soon realizes being faithful isn't the only thing he's lying about. As her hunt for the truth takes her to some of the darkest corners of the internet, Cassie learns just how little she knows about the man she shares her life with. It leaves her wondering one thing. Is Jamie someone she should destroy or someone she should fear instead? How far would you go to destroy your husband? This book is definitely eye-catching in the title, which is why I chose it. A woman spends her time looking into the lives of people who wronged her. Will she get the revenge she wanted or will she find some other information she wishes she didn't? I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please let me know what you think. And please subscribe to my blog. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Email me at itscrimeoclocksomewhere at gmail.com. Buy me a coffee and leave me a five-star rating and review. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's Crime O'Clock Somewhere.